Our scripture reading this morning will be from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, though the sermon will focus on verse 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. We take up as our text this morning Matthew 7.12, which is better known as the Golden Rule. The message here is so straightforward and the benefits of adhering to it are so plainly evident that a sermon on this text runs the risk of obscuring it rather than explaining it. So I'll endeavor to avoid that error and instead simply focus our attention on this simple yet profound command from our Lord. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You know, this is one of those verses that remains familiar to just about everyone, even in our secular age, regardless of their church background. It's so commonly repeated, it's difficult to imagine anyone who did not grow up hearing this as a child. And even the non-religious, the the non-Christians are aware of this, and they commend it as a good and an admirable way to live. Sometimes, even those who are quite hostile to God do so. For a historical example, we can consider Voltaire, the French philosopher who despised Christianity. Of the more repeatable things that he said was, Christianity is the most ridiculous, the most absurd and bloody religion that has ever infected the world. So clearly no fan of the Christian faith. And yet it was the same Voltaire who also said, The single fundamental and immutable law for men is the following. Treat others as you would be treated. This law is from nature itself. It cannot be torn from the heart of man. Well, of course, Voltaire uh, did not grasp the origin of such a law or the reasons why such a, a moral code would exist within the heart of man, and yet he recognized the value of it. And the fact that the universal, or excuse me, that the golden rule has such universal appeal may in part be due to the commonality of similar phrases linked to many different cultures and religions. For uh, those of a Jewish background, Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Moreover, there are similar sayings that date back to the time of Christ and before the time of Christ that are outside of our Bibles. A saying attributed to Buddha who lived from 563 to 483 BC is, hurt not others with what pains yourself. Confucius sums up his teaching as, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. 
Meandrius, he was taken over from an evil tyrant in Greece around 522 BC, said, what I condemn in another, I will, if I may, avoid myself. An ancient rabbi named Hillel had a similar saying to this. He said, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to another. Well, apart from that passage in Leviticus, did you notice anything significant about the phrases that are similar to the golden rule uh, that I have shared from these examples in history? Well, the bulk of these sayings that may be seen as a, a precursor to the golden rule, they really approach this issue from the negative side. That is, they forbid doing harm rather than prescribe doing good. And there is a very significant difference between not doing to others what we don't want them to do to us and doing for others what we would want them to do to us, isn't it? It's the difference between not sideswiping a car in a fit of road rage and stopping to help a stranded person along the side of the highway. There's a pretty big difference between those two things. Instead of simply not being mean to others, because we don't like it when folks are mean to us, we are to actively do good towards others, treating them the way that we would want to be treated in that situation. This is what makes the golden rule so golden, so divine. To borrow the wording of another of our Lord's commands, we are to love others the way that we love ourselves. And how is that? How do we love ourselves? Well, it's pretty unconditional love, right? We all recognize when we look in the mirror each morning that we are far from perfect. We're aware of our flaws and our mistakes and and our weaknesses and our sins, and yet we still love us. And that is the posture that we are to take towards others. Our affection for ourselves is not diminished by all the times that we have screwed up or done the wrong thing. We're always ready to help ourselves out ready at a moment's notice to drop what we're doing in order to uh, be kind to ourselves and, and do something that would please or benefit ourselves. Our default is to always be seeking our own advantage and ensuring that our own preferences and our desires and our needs are met. In his commentary, John Calvin states, where our own advantage is concerned, there is not one of us who cannot explain minutely and ingeniously what ought to be done. Christ, therefore, shows that every man may be a rule of acting properly and justly towards his neighbors if he do to others what he requires to be done to him. So in other words, we know exactly, instantaneously, what we would like done to us in any given situation. And that is the attitude that ought to rule our hearts and our affections and our actions when it comes to others. What would it look like to be so exacting, so ingenious when it comes to pursuing the good of someone else? We would always be actively seeking opportunities that would benefit a friend or a coworker or a classmate or a sibling or a neighbor, anyone who we have opportunity to bless. We would assume the best of others. 
giving them the benefit of the doubt that we always believe that we deserve from them. We'd forgive those who offended us rather than just writing them off, just as we always see ourselves as deserving of a second or a third or a fourth or a fifth chance. Isaac Watts, that great hymn writer, said that the golden rule is almost sufficient in itself to solve all cases of conscience which relate to our neighbor. No matter what situation we find ourselves, there's really no gray area left on what the right thing to do is when we approach it from the standpoint of doing to them what we want them to do to us. If there's any area that is not clearly set down in Scripture in black and white, we can rely on Matthew seven twelve to guide us in how we should act towards others. And this is not out of some self-centered scheme to get them to do things for us. I think one of the things that gets terribly missed when this golden rule gets uh, taken from its scriptural and, and Christian context and applied in, in schools or daycares or anywhere else is it comes across as if you don't want them to do that back to you or if you want them to be nice to you, you need to be nice to them first or you need to not be cruel or unkind or selfish towards them first. That is not what the golden rule is about. We are not called to treat others nicely so that they will treat us the way they want that we want to be treated. Can you hear the difference in that? We're to treat them the way that we want to be treated. We're not to treat them the way we want to be treated so that they will treat us that way. In fact, even if we are mistreated by others, we are called to treat them with love. Remember what Jesus taught in chapter 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Whatever way we would wish to be treated, that's how we should actively be seeking to treat others around us for their benefit not for ours. And that's to be all the time. That is to be how we engage and interact with others in this world. We're always called to treat others, to value and, and to serve them in the same manner that we would wish to be treated without any thought of return from them, any calculated ambition on our part. It is to be a sincere, wholehearted love of neighbor. So the, the command to treat others as we would want to be treated is quite clear. There's really not a lot of room for getting lost along the way in this verse. We know what it means. We know what it would look like. We know how we ought to do it in most any situation. But how critical is it that Christians exemplify the golden rule in our lives? How critical is it that we live in such a way that someone who comes across this would have us come to mind as an example of this? Well, Jesus says that we are to live this way, for this is the law and the prophets. That phrase, in case you are not familiar, it is simply a way of referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. Jesus actually began the Sermon on the Mount by saying, do not think 
that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. When Philip encountered the Messiah back in John chapter 1, we read, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Recall that after the resurrection, when some of his followers were unwittingly walking with the risen Christ on the road to Emmaus, and they were downcast, we read in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So what Christ is saying is that this golden rule to treat others the way you want to be treated, is the sum and the substance of the entirety of the Old Testament. He says much the same thing later in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So now does this mean that this one verse in the New Testament is a suitable replacement for the 23,000 verses in the Old Testament? Well, no, that is not what is being taught here. We would be in error, as some have in, in more recent eras of the church, if we were to take this truth to mean that the golden rule is somehow a sufficient summary of what it means to love God or to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. The golden rule is not the gospel. In fact, truly carrying out this command is not even possible outside of salvation in Jesus Christ. We are, after all, first called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength, and all our mind, and second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Consider uh, this section from the second chapter of Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And it goes on to explain both why and how. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Goes on to explain that a little bit more. And and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So having set all that up, then we read, therefore, 
my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We're to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, we're considered others more significant than ourselves. We're not to look only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. Why? Because we in Christ Jesus have been given that as an example, and God has worked in us to do good works towards others. Now, it doesn't mean that unbelievers cannot do good to others or, or be kind people or do something nice for you. That, that would be a, a foolish and an inaccurate and uncharitable thing to say. But to truly carry out the golden rule of doing unto others what we would want them to do unto us, or, or the royal law, as James calls it, of loving our neighbors as ourselves requires that we first be filled with the love of Christ to really do this rightly and truly, and as God intends. If we were to rightly live out the command and do to others what we want them to do to us, we must be first transformed by the redeeming love of Christ. We need to have our desires renewed by the gospel in order to desire the right things for ourselves, and therefore in order to desire and know the right things to do to another. So no, Jesus is not saying that the golden rule is all we need to know from Scripture. Instead, he is telling us that this guiding principle of loving others, of treating them the way that we wish to be treated, is what the Old Testament expands upon and fleshes out. Paul makes much that same point in Romans 13, 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The commandments are summed up in this verse. And the Christian is given a tool to quickly assess what is the right thing to do without having to search for chapter and verse for every situation that we find ourselves in. In Matthew 7, 12, we have a verse that does indeed sum up all of scripture for us when it comes to how to love others as God would have us love them. As J.C. Ryle commented, this is a golden rule indeed. It does not merely forbid all petty malice and revenge, all cheating and taking advantage of others. It does much more. It settles a hundred difficult points, which in a world like this are continually arising between man and man. It prevents the necessity of, of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. It sweeps the whole debatable ground with one mighty principle. It shows us a balance and measure by which everyone may see at once what his duty is. Well, the golden rule truly does sum up the law and the prophets so that we do not need first to search the scriptures before acting in the interest of another. We also know clearly what Christ's command here means. It's, it's perfectly clear what he is saying, and there's no shortage of practical examples that we could come up with to illustrate this. 
So the question is, why don't we do this very well or very consistently? The sad reality is that we're selfish and sinful and our hearts are slothful to obey the commands of our Lord. Loving ourselves comes easily, but loving others is far more difficult. We're often hesitant. And we hesitate because of what we think the cost might be. If I look after the interests of another, who's going to look out for my interests? If I'm quick to forgive another, won't that make me look like a pushover? If I'm quick to give and be generous, will that mean I'll be taken advantage of? If I stand up for someone else, won't I just invite hardship for myself? Well, we might not actually articulate such thoughts. Oftentimes, the de- decision not to do something that we know we ought to do is so quickly that we don't even hear those, those questions in our minds. But whenever we neglect to do for others what we would want done for us, you can be sure that it is due to some private almost instantaneous self-interested calculation that we have made. So often at the heart of such hesitancy is the unspoken question, can I really trust that everything will be okay if I obey Christ in this area? Am I going to be okay if I put others before myself? And we know the answer to that. And yet it's so easy to get knocked off track by hypotheticals and what ifs and just a desire to look out for ourselves most of all. So what would we need in order to grasp and truly see that we are always most secure when we are walking in the path of obedience? What truths do we need to remind ourselves of in order to quiet all of the what-ifs that pop into our minds and crowd out thoughtfulness towards others? Well, I draw your attention to the very beginning of our verse and, and point out the fact that it begins with so, or as other translations have it more clearly, uh, the word therefore. Therefore, or so... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Well, as is always the case, the word tells us that we must consider what has come previously. And in the case of Matthew 7, 12, I do not think that the therefore is meant to draw our eyes only to the few verses before, but rather as a reference to the Sermon on the Mount as a whole as Christ begins to draw this remarkable teaching to a close at the end of this chapter. Recall that I mentioned a few moments ago that the Sermon on the Mount began with a mention of the law and the prophets. Jesus said that he did not come to to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And now book ended with that phrase towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He is saying, therefore, treat others as you want to be treated because that is the law and the prophets. And so, excuse me, and so we see We can review all of this and and see that our excuses for not loving others can be easily removed from us and from our minds. So what do we need to remember is true for us not to hesitate to treat others the way we want to be treated? 
to love them as we love ourselves and look after their interests ahead of our own? Well, what Christ has taught so far in the Sermon on the Mount is more than enough to quiet the shouts of self-concern and remind us that, yes, indeed, we will be okay and far better than okay when we obey the golden rule. We must remember that we will be blessed. We don't worry about being seen as a pushover, for Christ has taught us that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We don't worry about an inability to fulfill our own desires or our needs, for Christ has taught us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do we fear that forgiveness and mercy towards another may be undeserved, unappreciated? Well, fear not. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Do we want to give place to uh, our getting our way, give place to vengeance, give place to seeking to repay someone in kind for how they treated us poorly? Remember, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But what if we treat others with kindness and they repay that kindness by doing us harm? Blessed are you, When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Christ says, don't worry about all the hypothetical negative consequences of living an others-focused life. Obey and be blessed, come what may. We must remember our true purpose. Remember, Christian, our chief occupation is not to be focused on our own wants and desires, but on serving Christ as our king and furthering his kingdom. Christ says we are to let our light shine before others so they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. By doing to others what we would want done to us, we will leave a trail of good works behind us wherever we go, and others will see them, and God will be glorified. We must remember that we need to leave justice in God's hands. Sure, we would want others to give us a second chance if we harm them in some way, right? We were probably having a bad day. We probably didn't really mean it, or at least we didn't mean it like that. And we'd want them to to forgive us. But dare we forgive others when they have wronged us? Will we not retaliate? What if malice really was intended? Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But what if they don't have your best interest at heart? What if they intentionally do to us what we would, they would not want done to themselves? Well, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father is who, who is in heaven. When the opportunity comes to love and treat others the way we would want to be loved and be treated, we must remember that we don't need to be recognized. Sadly, we're often less eager to serve someone if it will not be seen or appreciated or celebrated by others. But remember, to beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in 
heaven. Instead, be content to spread simple, unremarkable, everyday blessings, and don't worry about waiting for larger opportunities which draw more attention to yourself. We must remember that we must not hold tightly to earthly treasures. So often, service towards others comes at a cost. And it comes at a cost of more than our time or our energy. It involves the spending of our money or the sharing of our material goods. And that's hard. We must remember that we are called to lay up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In blessing others with our earthly treasures is a vital means of laying up heavenly ones. Sometimes when we have the opportunity to bless another, we start to wonder if we will somehow impoverish ourselves. And so we must remember that God will still take care of us. We are finite beings with finite resources. And when we give of ourselves to others, it necessarily means that we have less of whatever it was that we gave. We have less to keep for ourselves. We all recognize that. And so we hold tightly to what is ours. We must remember that God is an infinite being with infinite resources. He will not be unable to meet your future needs because you passed on your blessings to another. Are you not of more valuable than the birds that God provides for? If he feeds them, will he not feed us? And if he clothes the grass with flowers, will he not clothe us? But of course, we know that not everyone in this life deserves our kindness. Not everyone we see has our same values. Not everyone we see is, is worthy of our kind acts. Or so we foolishly tell ourselves. Remember, we don't worry about worthiness. Our self-focused inner voice might say, but so many people are not deserving of the kindness that I might show them. Well, rest assured, Christian, that if such a thought enters your mind, that it does not come from the Spirit of our Lord. For when we yield to such a notion, we are surely seeing the speck in our brother's eye and neglecting the log that is in our own eye. We were not worthy of Christ's kindness toward us, so we must not imagine that we are somehow above showing kindness towards others. Do not concern yourself with measuring the worthiness of the potential recipient of your kindness. You are called and commanded to treat others the way you would wish to be treated. And there is no escape clause given because you have found some reason to look down upon the person who would benefit from your obedience to Christ. We often are still filled with worries and concerns. And so we must remember that God will not neglect you. As believers who still struggle against the flesh and we live out our lives in a fallen world, we are slow to learn 
and to truly grasp the lesson that the unchanging God who has been faithful in the past will continue to be faithful in the future. We think that if in some form or fashion we share the blessings which we have obtained from his hand, that he may have no more to give. What if we give a cool drink to someone in need just before the faucet turns off and never comes on again? Well, we must remember that our God is our loving Father, and we have but to seek and we shall find, to knock and it shall be opened to us. For if you then, who are evil, know how to, good give, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who seek him? This does not cease to be true because we have given to others, whether that be of material goods or time or consideration or effort or anything else. In fact, the blessings of God are only increased by obedience to the commands of Christ. In just a short survey of the Sermon on the Mount, we can put to rest the concerns which may bog down our minds and slow our inclinations to love others as we love ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean that this simple command will become simple for us to consistently carry out. But perhaps by preemptively removing our excuses, we can be all the more ready to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. After all, does this not sum up what Scripture teaches us about how we are to treat others in this life? May God help you and I to become more faithful followers of Jesus Christ, which will, in every case, be marked by an increasing desire for blessing those around us, treating them the way that we would want to be treated. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that this command is, is well known to us, that without ever really having attempted, attempting to do so, because of the repetition in which we have encountered it, we have all committed it to memory. We know what you said. We know what you meant. We know what it looks like. And yet our hearts are, are so dull when it comes to others, and they are so uh, flamed with passion when it comes to ourselves. Lord, we need your spirit at work in us. Lord, help us to see others as more significant than ourselves. Help us to adopt the posture of our Lord and our Savior, which is that of, of a servant. Help us to humble ourselves and, and look out not only for our interests, but for the interests of others. We pray, Lord, that in the remainder of this day, as we go into a, a new week, that you would give us eyes to see and, and ears that hear opportunities to love others well. Help us not to walk through our days with our, our heads down, 
and our eyes focused only on our needs, but help us to, to lift our eyes towards others, see where we might be able to bless others and help us to react immediately in various situations when there is a question as to what the right thing is to do. Help us to default by your work in us to doing that thing which we know we would want to have done to us in the same situation. We thank you for the beauty and simplicity of your word, Lord, and we ask you for your grace and your blessing in helping us to carry it out. For we know that we can do no good thing in and of ourselves. We can bear no good fruit unless we are attached to you as the true vine. So Lord, we, we pray that you would help us to draw closer to you through prayer, through the reading of your word, through uh, fellowship with one another. That we might see and resemble Christ more and more. Might live in a way that honors our Savior and treats others the way we would wish to be treated. Pray this in his name. Amen.